right. Here we finally go on a Sunday morning in Las Vegas. Sorry about the delay. Just getting organized here. It's just after 8 o'clock. I'm Brian Feldman, and this is Out of Line. We are here live same time every Sunday on Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM, flagship of the Vegas Golden Knights. Coming to you from Spencer Studio, also known as the Wisden in Las Vegas, because going on two years now, uh, the pandemic has forced us out of the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio. Joining me on the show, social media director, Spencer The Wiz Ostrovsky. Nobody beats The Wiz. Nobody beats The Wiz. That's right. The Wiz not only has his own studio, but he also has his own theme music as well. Well-deserved, by the way. And back in the Fox Sports Residential Bay Corp Studios, longtime Lotus Broadcasting producer, Bobby Machado. Chris Chapman, the guy who normally produced the show, is in France on his long-awaited honeymoon. And from what I keep seeing on Facebook, he and his wife are eating a hell of a lot of cheese. But greatly appreciate Bobby being here on a Sunday morning to help us out. The show is also streaming on the LV Sports Network, and you can watch the show on Facebook Live and Twitter. Uh, the page is called Out of Line. That's O U T T A L I N E. And that's actually uh, Facebook Live and YouTube. Following the show, um, you can follow the show also on Instagram and Twitter um, at Out of Line Fox LV. And since we are live, your calls and questions are welcome. The Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio line is 702 876 1340. Hi, this is Bubby, and it's time for What's on Tap. What's on Tap, brought to you by title sponsor, Residential Bank Corp. Whether purchasing a new home or refinancing the home you already own, Residential Bank Corp is the company you turn to for all your home financing needs. Residential Bank Corp, funding America one neighborhood at a time. And uh, this is the last Residential Bank Corp. I should say the last week Residential Bank Corp will be offering $2,500 free to everyone and anyone who qualifies for a home purchase loan in the state of Nevada. Call 702-964-5720 for more information. On tap, the Vegas Golden Knights have lost three in a row and are no longer in first place in the Pacific Division. David Shane, who handles the VGK beat for the Vegas, uh, the Las Vegas Review Journal, will be joining us to give us his take on what's going on. And if it's cause for a concern, he'll be on the air with us just in a little while. And the Run Rebels pulled off another huge upset uh, yesterday. We'll talk about that. Today's fact, this segment might be the most controversial we have ever done. Stick around for that. And we'll give you our take on uh, in the wake of Super Bowl 56. And we'll talk about Aaron Donald's potential retirement talk. And uh, we'll also have a little bit of a Lions rant. Stick around if you're a Lions fan. You might like this. You might hate it. And it's also NBA All-Star Weekend. We'll talk about that as well. That's what's on tap. If you are looking to buy a home or to refinance the home you currently own, choose a company you can trust. Residential Bank Corp. Funding America one neighbor at a time. And for one final week, Residential Bank Corp. is offering Nevada home buyers $2,500 towards closing costs or to buy down your interest rate. And again, this is for anyone and everyone who qualifies for any home financing purchasing program in the state of Nevada. Call 702-964-5720 for details. Wow, Spence, what a week. You know, it is amazing when I think about this, that the Super Bowl was like only last Sunday. Doesn't it feel like it was like three weeks ago already? It's amazing, honestly. Uh, you know, great football season. The Super Bowl felt a little melodramatic at the end just because of like how spoiled we were leading up to that moment. It came down to a fourth and one that wasn't converted, even though it was still a close game. But yeah, no, it's, it's been a crazy couple weeks for sure. I, uh, I can't lie there. Very, very enjoyable. We'll talk about the Super Bowl in a little bit. All kinds of stuff still going on there. Big parades in L.A., Disneyland. It's been insane. But uh, right now, Spencer, um, the Vegas Golden Knights, a lot of people are concerned. I've heard people complaining about the goaltending. I want to bring in one of my favorite guests to talk about the Vegas Golden Knights. Of course, we love having Chris Chapman with us uh, weekly to also talk about him. But uh, David Shane covers the beat for the Vegas Golden Knights um, for the Las Vegas Review Journal. And David's got his hand on the pulse of this team as well as anybody in town. Vegas Golden Knights now 28-18-4. They got 60 points on the season, but they've lost three in a row. Two of the three by getting shut out, 6 nothing against Calgary uh, last Wednesday. And then, of course, they played Colorado the following day at home at, uh, at uh, T-Mobile. And um, they ended up, uh, 
two nothing in that game, and then blowing a lead twice on Friday versus the Kings. They're five three and two in their last ten games. Uh, David Shane again with Las Vegas Review Journal joining the show. David, reasons for concern? Well, first off, hi Brian. Hello. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> always love having um, you, my friend. Thanks. I always enjoyed talking to you guys too a, a little bit i guess in terms of you know the answer to your question um you know i actually had just sent out a tweet uh this morning you know i was looking at the schedule and they've got 32 games left uh 21 of them are against teams that are not in a playoff spot right now so the schedule kind of sets up for them you know favorably coming down the stretch here but you know you're missing mark stone um uh, we don't know when robin leonard is going to come back we heard yesterday that you know, he skated on his own. Uh, so you'd think, you know, he's he's a little closer than certainly Mark Stone would be. But, you know, this team is, you know, not playing up to expectations. And it's getting toward crunch time. So I think anytime you have that scenario, there's a little bit of concern. Yeah, you know, the return of Jack Eichel, so anticipated here. A lot of Vegas Golden Knights fans, and again, no offense to any of them, David, but, you know, they haven't been acclimated to hockey for that long, especially native Las Vegans that maybe, you know, at best knew the, the minor league system. But the Jack Eichel, when we first heard about the trade, I had friends of mine here that really just started getting into hockey in 2017. They're like, oh, my God, how are they going to give up on Alex Tuck? And Peyton Krebs is supposed to be a future superstar. And I said, man, Jack Eichel is a top five NHL player. Wait until this guy gets on the ice, gets healthy, gets his legs underneath him. You are going to see that we have one of the top talents here in the National Hockey League. That is how good Jack Eichel was pre-injury, pre-surgery. You know, so far, two games with Jack Eichel. He does have an assist. First game a couple times in the box. One of them hurt the Vegas Golden Knights. But um, I think you can see by a couple of his passes, the one assist that he had, um, you know, to Pacioretty. I mean, this guy can definitely throw the puck around real well, and pretty soon we'll start seeing him put the puck in the net. Um, any concern from what you've seen on Jack Eichel so far? So let me back up first. I just want to say, like, in terms of Alex Tuck real quick, like, Alex Tuck is going to be a captain in Buffalo. Like, they, they – as much as this trade, like, it was like you said, it's hard to give him up and, oh, he's so good and whatever. Like, it, it, he really is the perfect fit up in Buffalo and, and all this – and, and for the Knights to have to give up something to get something, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to work out in that regard. But, you know, to your point with Jack Eichel, um, I, I said this to somebody, and I, I don't mean this in a condescending way, and I apologize if it's going to come off, but but I said something that if fans thought Mark Stone was good when he got here, they ain't seen nothing, you know? Like, Jack Eichel is, is phenomenal. I, the way that he can carry the puck – what he can do with it. Like you said, I mean, he is a top five offensive talent in the league when healthy. And, th and that's going to be the biggest question mark is just how healthy is he? You know, how much does he trust it? Really? I, I think, you know, I don't think there's concern, you know, sorry, I, I've rambled and I haven't really answered your question. I don't think there's concern per se, but Jack Eichel himself talked about sort of the mental hurdle that he's going to have to get over of, you know, anytime you have an injury, just trusting it, you know, trusting that you're back 100%, being confident, you know, that that it's going to hold up. And so for him, you know, to take a couple bumps, he took a good shot last night along the wall, actually leading up to that goal that, that he had the assist on. And I thought that was a, a big moment as much as, you know, the goal and everything else that, that happened was, was he kind of dipped his shoulder in. He, he took a... You know, he absorbed it along the wall and, and he kept going. And I think the more he's able to do that and trust it and feel confident, the more the fans will start to see, you know, what an offensive talent he is. Yeah, what an excellent, you know, excellent point. Uh, I, you know, I'm trying to let everyone know that as well. I mean, watch the fluidity of a Connor McDavid or an Austin Matthews. And, you know, I'm not going to say he's right exactly there with guys of that talent level, uh, but 
He is right now in the prime of his career, provided he gets completely mentally healthy over this injury. As you said, you, when you're talking about a spinal cord or neck, it, back in any way, shape, or form, it is going to be tentative. You are going to be a bit tentative at the beginning, but after he plays a little bit, and as he said, took t- took a nice hit yesterday, which he needs to take more of so we, he can get acclimated with game speed. Once he gets his legs underneath him, I am excited to start hearing my friends tell me, wow, you were right, because there is no question, as long as mentally he gets it's right, and he's fine with this injury. This guy is going to be super talented. You mentioned Mark Stone. Um, you know, Mark Stone, the captain of this team. Um, I know last year people, a lot of complaining about Mark Stone somewhat disappearing in the playoffs. He hasn't really been fully up to speed this year. He has been hurt. That back injury kept him out of 29 games earlier. Looks like it could keep him out of the rest of the regular season. Um what do you hear about Mark Stone, his health and development? Also, a question on the salary cap when Mark Stone comes back. Doesn't it kind of help the Vegas Golden Knights with him not playing right now if they can keep him off long term? Because I know in the postseason that the salary cap doesn't come into play. Yeah, just to answer that part of it, and I think that's sort of where all the conspiracy theories seem to jump up, was you know the timing of him going on long term injured reserve enabled Jack Eichel to be activated without the Knights having to make you know, really any other corresponding moves. They didn't have to trade anybody or do anything like that. And, and so, yeah, everybody puts the tinfoil hat on and says, oh, you know, it's like Nikita Kucherov in Tampa Bay. And, you know, they're trying to circumvent the cap. But, you know, the reality is, like you said, this goes all the way back to, you know, last season in the playoffs and sort of with the benefit of hindsight now, you know, we can say, oh, he disappeared in the Canadian series. Well, he wasn't healthy. Like, obviously, the back was bothering him. Like, that was the issue, and he didn't want to admit it then. But, you know, Kelly McCrimmon said it, you know, it goes all the way back to that, and and we've sort of heard Pete DeBoer even hint to that. So, you know, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of put a question in your mouth is, is you know, is there concern? Because you asked me about that with a couple other guys. I think with Mark Stone, there is. Anytime you're dealing with a back, and, and anytime you're dealing with something that's lingered the way it has, and then more so than that is they don't know the issue specifically. You know, there seems to be overlapping stuff. He's seen specialists. He's had a dozen diagnostic tests, and, and nothing has come back definitive. And, and I think that's the frustrating part for them. Certainly that's the frustrating part for him. And, and so, you know, you start to look long-term and backs, and I mean, I grew up with, you know, the age of Mario Lemieux and then seeing his career ruined by a back. So I'm obviously not going to make that comparison. I, I don't I haven't had a chance to, like, you know, really talk to his agent or anybody that that can, you know, maybe lend a little more insight uh, to what's going on. But I, I definitely think he's the one that that people need to sort of, you know, maybe keep an eye on, if you could say, or just have some concern. And, you know, the Golden Knights feel like they can shut him down now and get him healthy for the playoffs and and if that's the case you know then then that's the right move and and it allows them you know like you said to circle back that salary cap room once you get to the playoffs you know it it doesn't matter anymore and and you can activate them and and it's irrelevant you know as far as if they're over the cap or under all that sort of stuff so they've got kind of a um i guess say a month here till the trade deadline to figure it out and then you know maybe at that point you say okay let's shut him down for the rest of the season and get him ready for the playoffs and go from there yeah to me that would make the most sense and especially as you said you know you can't overemphasize a back and and how serious this can be especially in hockey i know when i play and i haven't played in a while the first thing that hurts me you think it would be your legs it's always my lower back that's what hurts when you're first starting so it it plays such a big role and mark you know stone that's 9.5 million against the cap and the long the long term ir if somehow you know he can be ready for the postseason that would be you know golden because you know that players they were talking about moving David you know Riley Smith you know a huge favorite here in Las Vegas one of the last of the original misfits you know and then of course uh Dadenoff has been another one that they've talked about moving because of the money and even Jonathan Marchessault's name has come up as far as potential trade bait in order to get all the Vegas players uh, the Vegas Golden Knight players on the ice that they want to get on the ice and uh you know because um it's a 10.95 million salary cap is the issue Mark Stone alleviates 9.5. What happens when Alec Martinez is ready to come back, which should be pretty soon from what I'm hearing, David? 
Yeah, and you know, and that's you know, if I do the math right, and like you do the math right, and it was explained to me by like the cat friendly guys, sort of, you know, where the numbers are, and you know, I hope I'm not wrong on this, but like if I understood it, it was like once they were over six point six million with a long term IR, like it clears enough room for for Alec Martinez, and if I'm wrong on that, I think the numbers are definitely close enough that that what you could see is something like you know Nolan Patrick you know right now is hurt um we don't know where where his situation is certainly it was you know a shot to the head we would assume you know that's a concussion he's got a long history you know of head injuries and concussions so if he has to go on long-term ir you know that's 1.2 million there um you've got zach whitecloud ready to come off um you've got michael amadio who's you know sort of been a healthy scratch lately like there's there's a number of sort of ways that they can kind of trim around the edges I think to get Alec Martinez healthy, I, I let me go back to one thing that Kelly McCrimmon said, and this is sort of the overarching thing and, and it involves Mark Stone and Jack Eichel. But what he said was if, if Mark Stone was healthy that last Wednesday, Jack Eichel would have been activated regardless. Like they were ready to go and they would have made whatever trades or, or moves that they had to make at that point to do it. It worked out that Mark Stone went on long-term IR but they they knew what they were going to do and they they're ready you know if they have to to make some moves so i think the bigger thing for them is get alec martinez healthy get him in the lineup and then they'll figure out a way to do you know what they have to do salary cap wise at that point yeah, this team, and one thing we know about the Vegas Golden Knights, Bill Foley, they have never been scared to pull the trigger. I mean, you know, they shocked the Las Vegas community when they fired Gerard Gallant. They shocked the Las Vegas community when they let Marc-Andre Fleury go. I mean, this team is going to make whatever moves it needs to make to win now. And I think all the pieces are in place, and I'm sure they did have a game plan in mind. Had Jack Eichel and Alec Martinez been ready to move at the same time, we would have probably seen a significant player have to go in order to make that work and they will do what they have to but this team continues to to have that Midas touch the, the, they continue to things just seem to always work out in the favor of the Vegas Golden Knights and they have since 2017 the only thing that hasn't worked out to this point is winning a Stanley Cup but this team once again is geared to do that when everyone's healthy when they play right the biggest concern I hear aside from the injuries and getting Jack Eichel back right and David, you've heard it too. I've got to answer the questions all the time because they did let Marc-Andre Fleury go, even though I thought and said that I, that was the best move for and for the team at the time, Robin Leonard, you know, some injuries, some questionable stuff. But the main thing is, is inconsistency in the net. At times, the guy shows he can play as good as anybody. He's big, a big imposing figure, unlike Marc-Andre Fleury, who, you know, Robin Leonard just about covers every inch of the net. He's so big, um, you know, and then you've got Laurent Brossois, more of a smaller guy. But the bottom line is, David, a clear cut number one is Robin Leonard on this team. And is he good enough? to take this team to the Stanley Cup because as we know the team they played last night had a goaltender that a few years back almost by himself willed this team to a, to a couple of Stanley Cups I mean coming from the eighth seed the first time they won it it was all Jonathan Quick does Robin Leonard have that kind of ability so uh, the answer I I'm going to say to that particular question is probably no but I think the answer to the question of can he win a Stanley Cup is yes and where I'm going to go with this, where I'm going to steer it is I think Robin Leonard is much more dependent than most goalies on the play in front of him. He's so reliant on reading the play and reading the action. And, and instead of being a um, sort of a reaction goalie, you know, and, and making quick twitch saves and, and all that sort of stuff, maybe the way that Marc-Andre Fleury did. He's much more reliant on positioning and the things in front of him being predictable. And right now, defensively the golden knights haven't played well and, it, and it's sort of an ongoing you know season-long issue that they've just given up a lot of high danger chances they've given up a lot of scoring chances they've given up more shots than than they have in the, in the past couple of years you know with pete DeBoer as the coach and yeah you know maybe you can point to the neutral zone changes and and just you know maybe not mastering that you can look at alec martinez being out of the lineup zach Whitecloud having two different you know, injury stretches here, broken foot, broken hand. Um, like there's been a, a you know, a myriad, you know, different issues here in front of Robin Leonard. 
All that being said, I, I would also argue that Robin Leonard needs to make probably one more save a game. There's been times where it's just, it's not his fault per se, but you want him to be a top 10 goalie and a top 10 goalie, you know, makes maybe one save more per game that he shouldn't make. And, and right now it's just, you know, to do the analytics, that goal save above average and all those, those fun stats, like that's just where it's not, you know, high enough. He, he's not bailing them out enough. And, and if you're going to look at a goalie, like, you know, a Vasilevsky, all these other guys, like, yeah, they seem to do that. And that's where it's, it's missing a little bit right now. Um, but I think that's in conjunction with the defense and, and I don't want to totally blame, you know, Robin Leonard for, for all of their issues back there. Yeah, I don't think he's to blame for all of them. But again, you know, the fans got spoiled. Marc-Andre Fleury rejuvenated, rejuvenated his career here in Las Vegas and really the face of the franchise for the first four seasons. This guy, uh, you know, really helped bring hockey in such a good way to Las Vegas. And everyone's hero here. I, I hope one day they erect a statue or at least name the street that's next to uh, T-Mobile Arena after Marc-Andre Fleury because I think he surely deserves it. But again, I will stand by it forever. It's not his fault that Chicago's a bad team. You know, he's just playing. He doesn't have a, a really good squad in front of him in Chicago. But again, I think the timing was perfect for everything that happened. But Robin Leonard does need to step up. Um, you do need that last line of fence to be its best. You know, the defense in front of him has to play better. But Robin Leonard, I think for this team to make a run, especially with how talented these teams are right now in the National Hockey League, he's going to have to play better for this team to make a, a run in the Stanley Cup. And talking about that, looking at the road right of them, David, um, you know, it doesn't get much easier. You might think that, you know, Anaheim, excuse me, that uh, San Jose coming up and Arizona, but it's easy to try to look past those teams and start worrying about next Sunday's game against Colorado. You just lost three in a row. In my mind, you better be focusing heavily on the San Jose Sharks today at uh, five o'clock and get it turned around. It was great to get the one point against L.A., uh, Friday night, but they should have gotten two twice blown leads, something that can't happen. It's good to see him putting the puck in the net again, but David, is it concerned because right now the Vegas Golden Knights would be tied for the sixth playoff spot and there's two teams one point behind them tied for the eighth. I mean, I don't think they're in danger of falling out of the playoffs completely, but I also don't think you want to end up as the seventh or eighth seed in the playoffs, especially looking over at the other at the other conference, the other division in our conference. Yeah, I think, you know, Pete DeBoer talked about this after the game, you know, the other night, just in terms of the lack of desperation, maybe the lack of urgency, you know, it was really noticeable in that third period against Los Angeles. Like you're three, three, you know, against a team that is below you in the standings, but chasing you, you know, you're at home, you need two points. And they came out and kind of laid a dud in that third period. I think it was like five shots on goal. They really didn't threaten, you know, and then they end up losing in overtime. I mean, they really kind of had Laurent Brossois there at the end to thank for just getting a point out of that. And, and Pete DeBoer, I think, you know, if you saw his comments on the video or if you were there, you know, like he was really angry. He was very, um, I think there was a message he was trying to send, you know, in terms of that can't happen here for the, for the final 32 games. You know, they, as I mentioned, they've got 21 games against teams that are out of playoff contention. And those are precious points. They can't give those up. It starts tonight against San Jose. And if they're going to make a run, if they're going to fend these teams off, like, yeah, you have to beat the teams that you're supposed to beat, you know, and then try to get, you know, some other points along the way. And, you know, right now that that seems to be the most important thing. Like you said, don't can't look ahead to Colorado. You've got to focus on San Jose. You've got to focus on that road game against Arizona, you know, and, and those four points on the table matter just as much, as, you know, as four points against, you know, two playoff teams way down the line. I agree 100%, especially the way Calgary has now poked a nose in front in the Pacific Division. They don't look like they're slowing down at all, and that is definitely a team to be concerned about as they are playing as good in the last month as anybody in the National Hockey League. Finally, David, before I let you go, and again, talking with David Shane of the Las Vegas Review-Journal covers the beat uh, for the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, David, you know... I, early to give predictions, but what I will ask you is, do you think if this team shores up, Alec Martinez comes back, Mark Stone is able to come back for the playoffs, is this team good enough 
to win a Stanley Cup this year. We're especially over in the East. There are so many talented hockey teams playing so well. I think on paper, yes. I mean, you look at, you know, just the talent and, you know, the lack of holes really on that roster. I mean, they're deep. You know, you've got everything you pretty much need, you know, in terms of a formula to win a Stanley Cup. Now you have a number one center. You know, you've got a number one defenseman. You've got, you know, depth scoring. You you've, you have every piece. Maybe maybe the one thing lacking is is a little physicality. You know, maybe a little sandpaper and a little nastiness. I, I think maybe that's where Kelly McCrimmon might address something, you know, at the trade deadline if you've got a little bit of salary cap room, you know, all that being said, I think it's about how you're playing, though. And the Golden Knights have just not been able to really consistently, except for that that one stretch. Was it was it in? I don't remember was it December or January? They had they had that long stretch. Everything blends together, you know. But other than that, they've just been inconsistent and, and injury real the whole year. And so you can look at it on paper and say, yeah, they've got enough, and, and yeah, they have all the pieces, but they have to be able to at some point to really put it together. And, and feel like they're playing well going into the playoffs. And and I think until I see that, until I see them, you know, with, with 10 or 15 games left, really making a push, you know, and really, you know, showing, you know, and flexing their muscles, I'm, I'm going to continue to at least have, you know, a little bit of question, you know, around them in terms of can they get over that hump. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. Uh, you know, I think this team does have the talent. They do have the players. Uh, they are definitely a play as playoff tested as anybody in the National Hockey League. They, never, they haven't missed since they've been around. I don't want to jinx them, but um, they are. And, and I think that's the key word. It is consistency. It's always the, one of the key words is for a team to win in the playoffs. They have to show that they can win consistently. And that's the one thing other than, as David mentioned, a short uh, for a short stretch. This team has not showed they can win on a consistent basis and uh they're gonna have a tough road to haul but the good thing is there is still plenty of time to right this ship before the 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 regular season comes to a conclusion and again with jack eichel back in the lineup if this guy does mentally get sound and realize he's okay he can play takes a few more hits once this guy starts playing at the top of his game and putting the puck in the net everyone in las vegas is in for a real good treat once again he is david shane with the las vegas review journal david as always man appreciate you taking time out and joining the show appreciate it too take care brian all right once again david shane and we'll talk more go vegas golden knights every week hoping that uh the vegas golden knights can get it together in time for this postseason run because this team you know that's one of the things there's teams that are gearing up there's teams that are making changes there's teams that are uh, preparing for a future run the vegas golden knights are a team that is built for right now for today this team is built to win a Stanley Cup, and that's what they've gone out and done. And as David said, maybe a little bit of toughness. Are they missing Ryan Reeves a little bit right now? Maybe so. Well, who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe Pete DeBoer can go out and get him for uh, get him pretty inexpensively to come back to the Knights for the postseason run before the trading deadline. But I do think they need somebody. You know, I think they were banking more on Keegan Colasar and William Carrier being the guys to um, carry this team with physicality on that final line. Uh, they're playing decently. Carrier is definitely always an off offensive threat. Keegan Colasar, I like him as well, but neither one of those guys have the toughness or the, the continuous um, intimidation factor that R Ryan Reeves brought to this team. And not that it was a bad move to get rid of him, but I think that is something that is missing a little bit on this team. Let's slide over, Spencer about UNLV huge blowout win versus Colorado State yesterday 72-51 Colorado State 21 and 4 on the season and two of those four losses were blowout losses to UNLV one at home at Fort Collins at Moby Arena and the other one here at the Thomas and Mack Center yesterday. I mean, if UNLV could play Colorado State every week, they might be undefeated. We know that's unrealistic, but now they're in fifth place in the Mountain West, 16-11 overall, and 8-6 and six in the conference. Spencer, what do you make of this UNLV team? Well, this is what I'll say from the past two games that I've seen, and it's, it's really great because I, I was thinking, when I watched the last two games, and I kind of watched them you know, pretty intently or the best I could, uh, they're so much more engaged than I've seen them in the past three years. Wins and losses are one thing, and everybody wants to see wins or losses, obviously. That's what the whole game is about. But they are swarming to the ball defensively right now. 
And yes, you can tell somebody to swarm to the ball, but when they're on the court, obviously, there's only so much control you have over them. You just have a game plan in place. So I know right now that, you know, Coach Kruger, he has them on the court engaged and they are ready to play every single game. And when we look back at TJ Osselberger, guys took games off. We saw that consistently, especially out of Bryce Hamilton. And there were times last year that Bryce Hamilton was nowhere to be found. He was on the court, but I mean, it was almost like he wasn't. It's like they were playing one less men. So the fact that he's been able to get to him and have him have this great senior season, uh, and especially the last two games, like even if he isn't scoring 40 points, those 20 points, they feel so much more meaningful. There's no empty stats anymore for this team. So I am really happy with the direction they're going in just from a coaching standpoint. No, Spencer, I have to agree with you. Kevin Kruger, I think having played here, having played, you know, Division One college basketball, played professionally over in Europe for a little while, there is a respect factor for this guy. Yeah. Plus, knowing his father is lurking in the background as well, a college Hall of Fame coach um, is something that people consider as well. But you are right. Bryce Hamilton was a guy that I think everyone thought would leave the program when oh, yeah. Otzelberger was gone. He had one year left of eligibility that he would either transfer somewhere else. He did put himself out there potentially and realized he wasn't going to get drafted in the NBA draft and brought himself back. And he's arguably, I don't think anyone's going to argue that he's going to be a first team all mountain West player. Um, he could get all American honorable mention. 21 and a half points a game is nothing to sneeze at. And especially with a couple of the wins they got Colorado state, formerly a ranked team beat them twice. And he got his first double, double of the season yesterday against him with 10 rebounds, 20 points, again, averaging 20 and a half a game. This kid is the real deal. He will get more than a cup of tea at the NBA level. He's a project that I think could really work out and be be excellent for UNLV. They're going to go as far as Bryce Hamilton can take him, no question about it, but you are right. Kevin Kruger is getting a lot more out of this kid and, and helping his motor to run on a regular basis, and I think that is a really big thing. There are some complimentary prayers. Royce Ham Jr is going to be an integral part of this team if they're going to make any kind of a run in the postseason because they need that offensive rebounding ability. What was really good against Colorado State, Spencer, is they forced Colorado State to play perimeter basketball. Yes. With Colorado State generally is a team that can penetrate and get inside. UNLV forced bad shots on the outside. Colorado State taking way too many three-pointers. It almost looked like the team switched because UNLV is a middle-of-the-road defensive team. Yeah. They went from being a bad defensive team to now they're a middle-of-the-road defensive team. But if they could play defense like they did against Colorado State, when I said the remaining schedule is brutal, they might win one game. I kind of had them penciled in last week as maybe only winning the last game of the season at New Mexico. Now I'm thinking, hell, look Look at it looking at the road ahead, Spencer. They've got Reno uh Tuesday night at eight o'clock. It's at Reno on the road. That is going to be a tough game. Really is. They beat Reno here at the Thomas and Mack Center. That is going to be a tough game. And then of course, you know, then of course after Reno, they've got Boise State here next Saturday, a team that they played really well up in Idaho and, and only lost that game by three points. Heck, you know, they could split or maybe win both these. I don't think this team is, is going to win out. They've got five games left. That would be a really tough road. But Spencer, I am impressed with what I see. I definitely see a little bit of a different culture and atmosphere. I hope that the Thomas and Mack Center sees more and more fans. They did get some fans yesterday for the Colorado State game, more than usual. Um, Maybe that, that will grow, and I really hope by the time the Mountain West Conference comes around, they turn Thomas and Mack into the home arena for the Mountain West Conference tournament because UNLV can make some noise this year. And I think a lot of teams now are saying, whoa, we've got to be careful. This is not the same UNLV team they're used to seeing. No, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I want to talk about a couple of things. Defensively, they remind me a lot, and this is going to sound extreme, of the Milwaukee Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks have that kind of mentality of, we're going to protect the paint. You're not going to get an easy shot there, and you're going to be forced to make some perimeter shots. So that may be good and bad against certain teams, but I'd say in college in general, you know, it's not like they're leaving guys wide open, but they're swarming, and they're they're double-teaming in the paint and then running out. I mean, if they keep doing that, they could beat anybody in the Mountain West. We know it's not the best conference, you know, ever. And I think, you know, making some noise in the Mountain West tournament is definitely the start to get some people interested in this team again because we both know that ultimately the only way that you're really going to pack the MAC is if they go to March Madness because – Everyone's going to be there. for That's the biggest tournament almost in the country, bar like the Super Bowl and other you know big-type events like the NBA Finals. The country watches March Madness. So if people's eyes are on UNLV in March, they haven't been in forever, You know that's how you're going to get people in there. You know you can do any sort of marketing scheme you want, but we know the, the real formula. No, 
the, the real formula is always winning. And the toughest game to me that UNLV's got left on their schedule to win would be uh, hosting Wyoming, uh, you know, the second to last game of the season on March 2nd. I think, you know, that is going to be a huge game for them. If they can get by that game and, you know, even split these next two games against Nevada and Boise State, they're going to be primed and ready for the tournament. And then, of course, they go on the road. They get one final road game against New Mexico, which that could be a great way and a great segue into the Mountain West Conference tournament. But if they can finish with one of the top three or four seeds, Spencer, that's huge. Well, I, this is what I, I this is what I finished on with UNLV basketball. And remember the first year of, of T.J. Otzelberger's tenure, I, I was questioning him. I was like, I, I question whether or not he should be fired, especially going into the second season. And everybody called me crazy. But I said, there's one thing about coaches that I know, especially in basketball, maybe not football, but in basketball, is you don't question the coach if they're good. Wins and losses happen, but it's talking about the product on the court. You can't win every basketball game as much as you want to. So when you compare the two, I have not questioned one thing about Kevin Kruger yet, despite having you know a pretty average record. I uh, like Kevin Kruger. I said it last year. We wished him the best. I think he's doing as good of a job as a coach could do in his first season to this point. We'll see how they finish up, and we'll definitely see how they do in the Mountain West Conference Tournament. But I will tell you what, if he gets any kind of a postseason bid, which right now I think an NIT bid is almost for sure, if he could do pretty well and win a Mountain West Conference Tournament game, they're looking at the NIT. But if this guy can some way find a way to win the Mountain West Conference and get into the, the NCAA Tournament, wow, it would be astonishing in his first season. I think it's already a great job what we're seeing he's be He's putting an entertaining, capable team on the floor with one of the best players in the Mountain West Conference that hasn't played consistently as one of the best players until this season. He's gotten the most out of him, which shows his intestinal fortitude and his ability as a, as a college basketball coach. Love what I'm seeing, and that's why I am repping. I'm not saying we're back here yet, Spence. I'm wearing the shirt, the 1990 championship. My UNLV hat, as you see, but they deserve it after a big win over Colorado State. Again, that team 21-4, and four, two of their losses at the hands of the UNLV running Rebels. Pretty darn cool. Go ahead, Spencer, hit it. Back this. If you don't like the facts, take your ass back to bed. Fact this. Thomas heads in for the final turn. It's going to be a race for second place. It might be Penn going 1-2 with Baroker making the turn currently in second place. And over the last half of the pool, nobody will touch Leah Thomas, who will finish at 437-32. Leah Thomas, Ivy League champion in the 500 free. Second place to Catherine Baroker, another top. Yeah, that was Thursday night. Uh, and fact, yesterday, Penn University's 22-year-old transgender swimmer Leah Thomas set another record at this year's Ivy League Championships by winning the 100-yard freestyle in 47.63 seconds. She also won the 500-yard freestyles you just heard on Thursday and the 200-yard freestyle on Friday, setting the Ivy League record in doing so. This, although a controversial and delicate subject, has to be discussed here on out of line today spencer you know i've got my thoughts on this and i'll give them to you first and i want to hear yours you know it's a very delicate situation to get into and, and to touch on but if you know me and know me personally if you want to hammer me on this go right ahead if you know the person i am and who i am i have no problem i don't have any blood in my body that that's racist or prejudiced against anybody it's just not the truth if you know me but i feel fair is fair and i think when you are born with a male body, which which Leah Thomas was, and then you have a, you have a, you have a sex change, you're transgender, and now you are considered a female, to be able to compete at the collegiate level or professional level as a female, I think is unfair. It's my take on it. We are biologically different. I have no problem whatsoever with anyone being transgendered. If that, that if that's what you desire, maybe internally that's the way you feel you are. That that's great. However, again, is it fair to the other collegiate athletes, these women that are top collegiate athletes that are competing in this, to compete against somebody that at one point in time was a man? You have your sexual organs change, but it doesn't change your physical chemistry, Spencer, or your, ke your chemist chemical makeup. So again... Is it fair? And if it was completely fair, how is this person, the first one that I'm aware of, competing as 
a woman and at the collegiate level that is breaking records that have stood for years. This is the Ivy League. It's been around since the dawn of time. And now there are records falling. Is this fair, Spencer? Well, before I say whether or not it's fair, this is this is my initial take on it, and I'll throw it back to you. So the biggest issue that transgendered people face in the country, plain and simple, at least in my opinion, from what I've seen, who I've talked to, uh, some transgendered individuals, is acceptance. They want to be accepted in society. Now, you can say stuff on social media and say that, you know, I'm for transgender people, which is a very good thing to do. But as we all know, that social media isn't real life. So that when these transgender people go out in public and they're not accepted, it's much worse than being called something on, on Twitter or anything like that. They want to be accepted in their actual lives, like, you know, when they live them. So when you you can say someone's accepted, but when you don't see that in real life, then it's a different story. So when a transgendered, uh, you know, person is invited and accepted into the sports world, it's it's the first kind of step, in my opinion, in seeing that they are like they are recognized as and this is like the most way like this is one of the best ways that you can do it because you have men and women sports so when a transgender individual is you know sees themselves as a woman and they you know are a woman and now that they are playing in women's sports i think that's a really big step in acceptance that's like my initial kind of thought on it now whether it comes to the physicality part i don't know but that's kind of how i feel about it what about breaking records though spencer i mean if you're breaking long-standing records and that was kind of my issue with it it's i mean did you see how much leah thomas how much she won by I mean, it was, you could even see the other swimmers in the picture in that 500. They were so far back. And then to win the other two races that she participated in, it just seems like there's got to be something to that. Well, okay, of course. So I talked about the acceptance side. Now let's talk about, you know, the actual sporting side of it. Now, I feel it, it does make me feel bad for, you know, the ladies who, you know, were initially born as women and identify as that that they've worked their entire lives, but physically speaking, they probably can't get up to that level because their bodies just aren't meant to do that. It's not meant that they're not trying hard enough or not trying as hard as Leah Thomas is, is that their bodies are physically incapable of getting to that level in the sport. So, you know, it's pretty awkward, like that they really can't compete as of right now, because I looked on Twitter, I think, you know, Leah Thomas, when, when she competed on the men's side was like 256 or 268 in the rankings and now going all the way up to one, obviously there's something that seems a little off right there. Yeah. That was, like I said, again, that, that, that is my take on it. I am all for, you know, transgender. I mean, I, I don't talk about it on social media, but I have no issues whatsoever. It's who you are. But again, is it, it's about the, the fairness of competition and is it fair? And uh, I guess that we'll leave that for everyone else to decide out there. I don't believe it's fair. It doesn't sound like it from a competitive standpoint, you feel like it's fair. I just wonder how everyone else feels. You can give us a call at any time, 876-1340, if you'd like to jump in. Uh, Spencer, let's let's move on with the time we have left and talk about the Super Bowl. We mentioned it. First of all, I will say uh, I've been around for every single Super Bowl. I guess that dates me a bit. Uh, I know Bobby has as well back in the studio. Sorry, Bobby, don't mean to throw you under a bus there. But the truth of the matter is, in all of my life, I have never seen a better postseason in the National Football League than I have this year, Spencer. Um, from the first round of the playoffs, we saw a few lopsided victories. The divisional round, every game kept getting better and better. The a- the AFC and the NFC championship games were just as good as the divisional round. And then the Super Bowl, not a letdown in any way, shape, or form, comes right down to the wire again. Um, the team having to convert a fourth down, got a, got a penalty to keep it going for the Rams. Um, I mean, just every game a nail-biter. You couldn't have asked for a better postseason. That being said, the game's been broken down. Let me start with this real quick because it was a question. Was Cooper Cup the right MVP of the game? Well, I had Aaron Donald, so you know who I was rooting for at the end of the game. I did too. But it's completely understandable. When it comes to that last drive and going up at the end, now Aaron Donald ultimately had the game-winning sack. So, I mean, it was pretty comparatively so there. But I actually, I know most people wanted to be Aaron Donald, and I did too, of course. But I think when you look at the last drive of the game, I mean, Cooper Cup wasn't only catching every pass. When he wasn't, the ball was going to him, and he was getting destroyed i mean a lot of guys would have gotten out of the game i mean if you look at that first goal line pass that he dropped or that was attempted to go to him he got crushed and then he got up and then he went right back and won and won a one-on-one to put them up by four that takes a lot of heart 
and a lot of soul. And he was the soul of that team for the entire for the entire year. It feels like he really was the guy for that award at the time. Yeah, he picked up that crucial first down on the on the end around, which was really really good as well. Aaron Donald, listening to people, they said, well, if he had one more sack, he would have probably been the Super Bowl MVP. And if you remember, he got to Joe Burrow, and Joe Burrow barely got the ball away. That wasn't counted a sack. It was caught, counted as a quarterback hurry. But had that been a sack, he would have had three sacks. He had two sacks, um, four tackles, two of them for loss. And uh, the bottom line is on the season, he had 12 and a half sacks the regular season. He could have been the MVP. I'll tell you right now, if Matthew Stafford doesn't throw two interceptions in the game, he's the MVP looking at his almost 300 yards passing, three TDs. It was the two picks that probably kept him off for, or kept him from getting that award. I don't argue that Cooper Cup was deserving. I just under 100 yards receiving is a little bit, uh, but he did have two touchdowns. And like I said, picked up a huge first down on the final drive. He was the final drive. And Matthew Stafford, even though everyone knows that the ball's probably going to him, especially with Higby being out. Um, and Odell at yeah, that you, point. Of course, and Odell Beckham at that point as well. Um, everybody knew that he was going to target Cooper Cup, and it didn't matter. That guy, the best route runner in the NFL, bar none. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to take it away from him. Uh, the, now the question is about Aaron Donald. In the span of a couple of days, uh, you went from discussing, he went from discussing retirement to after the Super Bowl win, the insane parade where he talked about running it back. Spencer, let's hear what he said before the Super Bowl, then play what he said after. In eight years, I accomplished a lot in a short amount of time. And, and one thing that I feel like I'm lacking is, you know, being a world champion. So um, it meant a lot to me. I feel like it'd be um, a goal that I've been chasing and trying to accomplish. Um, I'd be able to check that off and feel like, you know, there's, there's nothing in this league that I didn't accomplish that I didn't want to accomplish. So um, it, it meant a lot. We built the super team. We can bring the super team back. Why not run it back? We could be world champions. Yeah! Well, he went from like saying he'll have accomplished everything you could accomplish to, you know, why not run it back and play it again? Uh, the issue is. You know, we know all the rumors about him uh, retiring. They were bubbling for a few days before the Super Bowl, and they were legitimate. Uh, he still hasn't said that he won't, but the bottom line is, at some point this offseason, the Rams know they need uh, to address and to make Aaron Donald the highest uh, defensive player in the NFL. He is due $9.25 million in base salary this year with a $5 million roster bonus. I mean... That's good money, Spencer, right? But in the in the land of the landscape of the highest paid defensive players, it's way off. TJ Watt, guys like that, pass rushers are making twenty seven to twenty eight million dollars a year. Donald's contract averages twenty two and a half million dollars a year. Um, he is going to need to get that bump this season, and he probably won't retire. But he must. But he might not show up for all the off-season stuff unless the Rams address this right away. I cannot see Aaron Donald at the top of the, his game. Not even ten years into an NFL career. I think this was his eighth season. This guy's not going to retire. What he's going to do is become the highest-paid defensive player in the National Football League. He is. But I, I kind of go back and forth in this all the time. And clearly, you know, he's a big part of that. But the fact that he did have a lower salary. Was it not a big reason why they won the Super Bowl? They had a lot of cap space left over. They got to sign Odell Beckham. They got to sign Von Miller. Think about all the guys they have brought in at this time. They brought in, you know, Matthew Stafford, another really big contract. So when you start giving this guy big money, and I'm, and it's going to be silly money. He's going to make more money than quarterbacks at some point. That means you got to let go of a lot of the excess fat. A lot of the guys who made big plays in the Super Bowl and in this playoff run, they're not going to be on your team anymore. So that's kind of what happened with the Raiders with Cleo Mack. He wanted to get Kirk Cousins money, and the Bears gave it to him. And what have the Bears done since? Absolutely nothing. So I, I get it that you know the Bears obviously are in a much worse place than the Rams, but those contracts, I mean, yes, it looks cool on paper to say that he's the highest-paid player in the, in the NFL, but I think in actuality, when it comes to team building, it's a different story. And the one last thing I'll say is look at Tom Brady. Tom Brady was never at any point in his career, never the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. And they built some great teams around him and his contract flexibility was a big reason for it. Well, we'll see Aaron Rod. I mean, Aaron Donald, what he does, uh, you know, he does deserve to command this big money. And the one thing difference when you use a comparison like Khalil Mack, and I do think it's a good comparison is 
it seems like Aaron Donald always had more heart and was more about winning than Khalil Mack. Khalil Mack was about Khalil Mack. And not so much loyalty to a team as loyalty to the dollar, which you can't blame him. The NFL, not for long, man. I mean, you got to get what you can when you can get it. But in the same respect, Aaron Donald, to me, is a guy that has always wanted to win. I'll tell you what, in that Super Bowl, Spencer, the first half, there was barely any statistics for Aaron Donald. Look at the first half and the second. If you want to know why, watch it. He was at times getting triple teamed. I don't know how they were even blocking out other guys in there because at times they were putting three guys chipping Aaron Donald to keep him from getting to Joe Burrow. And they neutralized him in the first half. And in the second half, they decided, wow, Von Miller's playing really well. There's other guys in this team we got to worry about. As soon as they did that, they went down to a double and occasionally single team. Aaron Donald blew past that offensive line. I don't think there is an offensive lineman in the game that can go all game blocking Aaron Donald one-on-one. I think it's just about an impossibility. That is how good he is, and I think he'll continue to be that good, and I do think he deserves the money that he is going to command. Listen, not a lot of time left, so real quickly, I want to get to this question because Matthew Stafford won the Super Bowl as a Los Angeles Ram. Does that mean Detroit Lions fans should celebrate? Are you kidding me? Here's the deal. Celebrate the man, Matthew Stafford. He is a great man uh, with what he has done in the Detroit community when he was there, what he has done with his wife when she had some some health issues. But the bottom line is, as a Detroit Lion fan, what did he do for you by winning the Super Bowl? You know what he did? That little trade they made for Jared Goff last year, the Detroit Lions got some draft picks. Well, they got this year's number one draft pick for the Los Angeles Rams. So what does that mean? By Matthew Stafford winning the Super Bowl, they got the very last pick in the first round to go along with the second pick. Is that good? Of course it's good. But if they would have been bounced in the first round, you jump up. A good, what is that, like a, like, like eight picks? I mean, it didn't do anything for you. Don't start buying Detroit Rams shirts. They're not the Detroit Rams. They are the Los Angeles Rams. Detroit Lions fans start making it real. The Detroit Lions have won one playoff game in over 60 years. Since it has been called the Super Bowl, one playoff game. They had a full career of Barry Sanders and Calvin Johnson. Between the two of them, 19 NFL seasons and one playoff win. Calvin Johnson, who, by the way, played his entire career just about with Matthew Stafford, never won a playoff game and made the Hall of Fame for how damn good he was. Will Matthew Stafford make the Hall of Fame? That is a real big controversy. I say if he gets to another Super Bowl with the Rams, he is a virtual lock. He might be in already. 13 seasons, broke every passing record the Lions had, including Lions' record for wins as a quarterback. Is that saying much? Well, there's still a franchise that has been around for a long time. But please stop 